listening to the Commercial CIO Podcast, the podcast for CIOs who mean business. In this series, we'll explore how business IT leaders are adopting and investing in the latest technologies to help drive improved productivity, reduce costs, and improve ROI on their IT budget. We'll get the latest insights directly from IT leaders and industry specialists, giving you the practical knowledge and information you need to get the very best value from your IT budget and investments. If you found our content of interest, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Well, here we are again. Uh, the topic today, Matt, is 5G, what's the point, which is a very to-the-point kind of uh, question to start with. Uh, presumably, you think there is a point, otherwise we're going to have to fill for half an hour, aren't we? Yeah, a bit of padding for half an hour yeah. for, uh, for our a listeners. Lot. Yeah, um, what is the point of 5G? I think 5G is one of these um, really quite confusing topics at the moment uh, for IT leaders because it, it's one of those things that I guess they're expected to know about and have a view on. It's been so hyped up in the media uh, by government and, and everywhere. You know, like everyone's talking about this kind of global billions and billions of dollars being invested into 5G. Uh, and I should imagine there's quite a few CIOs listening that have been on the receiving end of kind of queries from the other board members saying, hey, well, what, are, what is our 5G strategy? What are we doing? And I guess for a lot of them, that's a very difficult question to answer because 5G itself is right at the, the, the peak of expectations at the moment. Is that, is that something you see as well, Martin? Yeah, well, I think it is and it isn't. You know, for the people who are fairly expert at this sort of stuff, they know these are very long rollouts, long journeys, mm-hmm. uh, and really are sort of waiting for the moon, the sun, and the stars to align on you. Um, and then, probably when, quite rightly, having a go at the media, I've worked in the media all my life, but you're quite right, there tends to be a big hype around the rollout. And, uh, and you know, quite rightly, it's a news opportunity for the media of course it is but the real action probably goes takes place when the media have stopped writing about it in a lot of ways yeah so so right right here and now let's let's dive into what 5g is and what 5g isn't uh, and then we can start to maybe think about how this this stuff can be used in the future uh, w- within the enterprise so Today, 5G is at relatively early rollout phase still. As as we know, it's been deployed into various different cities. But but what's it going to do? It's really the way I look at 5G is to look at this as two different products or even three. Let's start with three. The first product has got really uh, little to see for everyone else, and that's under the bonnet. What's happening at a network level? There's massive infrastructure investment going on to upgrade the mobile networks, what they call their core, that's their infrastructure, same as your, your kind of your own wide area network, if you like, within your enterprise. You know, the bit that you control, you manage your private network, that is their core. And there's a massive amount of work going on at the moment to look at how they upgrade those. So very, very similar to what's happening within the enterprise. You know, organizations are looking at deploying software-defined networking, yeah, uh, virtualization, all these different new types of technologies and tools to make their network run more efficient so that they can manage that effectively. So, so... Before we go too far, that's what's happening at the mobile network level. They're, they're upgrading that. The second thing that's happening within the under the bonnet is the radio access network, which is the, the towers, the cell towers that you see out there. They have to be connected up. And all of those are connected up by essentially private circuits, by uh, gigabit or, or, or multi-gigabit, 10 gigabit circuits. 
And there's a big program going on at the moment to essentially upgrade the capacity to those cell towers because there's no point having this great 5G technology yeah, if, it, if it's all connected by like a piece of string back to the network and it's not going to move any speed. So you've got to have the infrastructure to carry this much higher bandwidth data from these mobile devices. So, so, so almost level one is the really kind of nuts and bolts, boring bit that the the consumers are not going to see is what's happening at a network level. Now, the really interesting thing about that for me is the impact that's having on 4G. As all these base stations are being upgraded, as the network's being upgraded, the speeds uh, that you, you're able to achieve on 4G increase as well. So, so we've got that. So there's the, the, sec, the second area uh, that uh, organizations look at is in the kind of two products. One is going to be faster mobile services, but like 3G to 4G, it got faster. Uh, uh, and it's going to be better capacity. What does that mean? At the moment, you can get a signal on 4G, but if too many people are trying to use that base station, that cell tower, you don't get the capacity. It hasn't got enough channels, if you like, to connect up all those devices to get a poor experience. With 5G, we get a fundamentally bigger change there. So we get multiple, many, many factors higher in the number of channels of availability for devices so everyone or a lot a lot larger number of people can get a connection when they need it. So, so first and foremost, quicker and better connectivity. It's going to take years to roll that out though everywhere. Like some places don't have 4G yet. So, you know, <laughs> you know, we're going into 5G, let, let's, let's be uh, clear. And then the third element is the future. And in the future, we've really got core products in there. So these core products are going to be what we call network slicing. So this is where we can take a private layer within a mobile network. We'll talk about that today. Mobile edge computing. This is pushing out data center technologies yeah, much closer to the edge so that you can have low latency services, higher performing services, and then you distribute that uh, out further and closer to the end user and, and go move away from this concept of bringing everything back to the core. And then we've got private mobile networking, really interesting area at the moment, where uh, businesses are using 5G technology, but they're building their own networks, for example, within their own organization, their own buildings to, for instance, deliver their own coverage or to uh, connect up their machinery or industrial uses and things like that. So we've got those type of technologies that are coming down the line, uh, but, but many of those are years off. So that's the best way that I look at it at the moment. You've got three bits. You've got the network being upgraded. That impacts everyone and makes better 4G and 5G. You've got then the 5G radio network where they where actually put in the 5G technology into the cell towers. That gives you much better capacity, much higher speeds, lower latency. And then the third phase is going to be all about these network layer technologies that come through that allow you to deploy mobile technology in a new way. Yeah, almost a cocktail of technologies really above and beyond the, the speed and capacity increase. Um, and of course, that's going to be most importantly enabling a lot more uh, opportunities for businesses. But you tell me, if I'm a CIO tuned into this, we try to provide tips and tricks, advice, straightforward counsel. Um, and they're going to be asked, as you said, by peers, what's this going to do for our business? What is it going to do for the business? But you know, I mean, uh, I'll probably upset an, an awful lot of the uh, the, the, te the telcos and the networks, but for a lot of businesses right here and now, yeah, may maybe there isn't a business case right now for 5G. Uh, do I think, I think it'd be consumer-led. Yeah, the employees within businesses will want the later devices. Those devices, for instance, the new iPhone 12 is largely expected to be a 5G device. Uh, you know, the, the 11 wasn't, but the 12 is expected to be. So, so with that, 
Will, do you expect users to upgrade to an iPhone 12? Yeah, I, th- I think even even there's a lot of financial pressures out there, a lot of people will still take that device. So you're going to find it almost like driven within certain businesses, driven by the employees within that, that want the quicker device, the better device. You know, is, is it fundamentally going to change their businesses? No, because actually 4G, probably for most business cases, does a really good job and it's very underutilized as well I might add it's used for smartphones and tablets but very few organizations actually use 4G for data networking maybe that's something we can we can come on to later in 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 this episode um but 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 really right here and now so where are the use cases well the use cases start to come in with those organizations today that are maybe considering deploying 5G technologies within their own organization so this is what we referred to a bit earlier as this kind of private mobile networks so this is where you deploy 5G technology so let me give you a use case you run a factory and at the moment everything in your factory might be wired in yeah um in a 5G world, what you can do is deploy a local variant of 5G. You don't need to necessarily even go to your mobile network for this. And that 5G network is connecting all your sensors and your machines and, 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 and so on together within your factory. So it gives you very, very low uh, latency, which means that your technologies can respond very quickly. So for instance, a sensor, let's say you have a really expensive piece of equipment, it's a 50 million pound kind of, you know, factory device, you know, robot automated devices. If you if you take a sensor within that on 5G and you start to see a failure on a component, that component failure might cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions. What 5G will enable you to do is connect that up very, very, very quickly, yet instead of wiring everything in. What that then frees you up to do is have technology that can move around within your factory you can actually move your whole factory layout to fit whatever you're producing at that time so it starts to enable this kind of uh, industry 4.0 as they call it you know next way of thinking about how we deploy technology within to manufacturing to create a much more agile environment uh, but obviously you know that's great if you're in those sectors but if you if you know if you're running a law firm or accounting firm you know a lot of what we do is professional services at this point i think you're going to be hard pushed to find today's answer for why to invest but over the coming years once we have that network deployed then we start to look at some more interesting things about this data networking and, and network slicing yeah it's interesting isn't it the consumers often pushing forward technology in a lot of ways and all the early adopters people used to call that the consumerization of technology and uh, rather than the businesses really bedding in some of these technologies the ones who get first dibs were often the punters aren't they these days you know if you've if you've got a uh I think on a previous episode, we talked about uh, corporate liable versus bring your own device. You know, who should pay for mobile devices? You know, let's let's just assume that the new iPhone 12 comes out. It's a 600 pound device. You know, if, you, if you've deployed, let's say, an iPhone 8, you know, a couple of years ago to your employees and it's still working fine, you know, are you going to get your 1,000 employees, let's say, you want to find 600,000 pounds to up, upgrade to iPhone 12 devices come September, October, November? You know, it's a, it's, it's a big ask at this point in time, as opposed to just sweating that asset for a while. So I think I think you're right. I think we will see this kind of consumerization again with 5G start. But then as the standards all settle, as the technology gets cheaper, so let's not forget the technology is quite expensive 
to deploy 5G chips. It's not, you know, it's, you know, it might cost you, you know, a few pounds to put a 4G chip in. It's, it's very, very expensive to put 5G in at the moment. So, of course, that means there aren't that many devices around and those that are out there are more expensive. Apple, interestingly enough, I believe have done a lot of their own investment this time around to make that a much more cost-effective solution to deploy. Uh, and, and, and maybe one of the reasons they didn't deploy into the iPhone 11 was because of the cost of it. But as it starts to come down, then you'll start to see it adopted in the corporation because it'll just be, you know, the natural choice. Whereas at the moment, it's going to be at a premium, no doubt about it. And, uh, and, and just remember, you can, you can stream 4K TV yeah, at 25 megabits per second. So if, if, if the average 4G is delivering that type of speed in, in, in areas of decent coverage, you know, how much faster do you actually want it to go? You know, so although long-term 5G will, will address capacity issues, it has to be rolled out first. And therefore, just to have it on a small piecemeal basis, for most, is probably going to be a bit of a stretch too far at this point. Yeah, I mean, we started off talking about what the CIO should be thinking about now, then it's really, they should be thinking about planning for the future, shouldn't they? Absolutely. About the advantages in, maybe not now, but maybe in 2022, around about that period. I, I, I think that's exactly right. So this this starts to become about really, really splitting the different things and not confusing 5G as like all one thing. Think of it this way, network speed, connectivity, it's going to get better. There will come a time when it makes just sense to, you know, to have that in there. Now we start to look forward and say, okay, well, how can 5G technologies actually be deployed in the future once they're up and running? And this is really where, for the first time, the cloud services that we deploy yeah, and, and our data center strategy yeah, combines with our mobile networking and we start to see the removal of fixed line. This, this for me, 5G, the big thing here is the replacement of fixed line in its true, true uh, extent. So almost kind of break, break through the wires if you like. So, so a good way to explain this to uh, people listening is that 5G essentially is fiber over the air yeah, or will be once it's deployed properly. Now, if you're able to deliver fiber over the air, Without all the time delays, we all know what it's like. You, you, you must have seen this before. Trying to install fiber Ethernet circuits into a new site, it can take months and months and months Yeah, at great expense. Whereas with cellular, that same technology can be deployed within a day. Yeah, and also it can be um, decommissioned very quickly and recommissioned somewhere else. So there's a lot more flexibility. So the way I'm, I'm starting to think about this is... If we were able to deliver fiber over the air, how would that change the way that we support sites? How would we deploy technologies to sites? So for instance, Martin, a lot of organizations, a lot of people listening today, you know, CIOs of major corporations, their, their wide area data networks will actually be two networks. They will have their primary connection and then they'll have a resilient backup connection. Uh, and, and they'll have gone to great expense to dig up the roads and put different ducting in to bring those connections in. Maybe where I'd be thinking here is actually, could I could I start to remove that idea? Could cellular be the primary or the secondary connection? Yeah, at very very low cost and literally scale on demand as it's required. So in a fixed line world, what do you have to do? You have to go and put a bit of fibre into the ground. You've got to buy a amount of capacity that you want it to be able to support. In a future cellular world, you can literally have the connection in there, standby, ready to auto fail over, and then it just expands automatically to to fill that. And this is where things like network slicing, this is where maybe the next level of corporate services come, where, for instance, your Vodafone's O2's EEs will be able to deliver yeah, fiber over the air on demand. So you can have the technology trickling along at very, very low cost, 
yeah, as a backup route in your, your network. And as you require it, it then consumes a certain amount of bandwidth that they guarantee you quality of service on. Now, you're going to pay for that, but, it, but the cost is going to be substantially less than actually physically digging up all the roads to put in that resilient link. So start to look at the, those different ways of data networking are really, I think, going to be quite interesting in the coming years. And definitely, I see by 2022, cellular almost being a comparable option to putting a fixed line connection in from day one. And even today now on 4G, remote workers, temporary locations, you know, small sites, um, that 4G can do that job already. Yeah, with the right technology, with with the right uh, uh, um, uh, antenna, for instance, to pick up the mobile network signal, you can deliver a really great 4G service today. I think that's coming to your bigger offices and your data center in the future. Yeah, so maybe the evolution is about sweating the assets of 4G and getting full value for money from that uh, existing investment. As you say, 5G is really for the, the next wave. You mentioned the uh, industrial, um, what did you say, for the... Uh, industry 4.0. Yeah, or, or some people say fourth industrial revolution as well, don't they? And the notion of smart factories are much more elegant if you can do it wirelessly. I mean, in terms of the architecture of buildings and the way you design infrastructure, for example, for smart factories, uh, remote offices, branch offices. A, a lot of organizations were looking into it because um, one of the trouble with 5G external network technology is that it runs on a much higher frequency than... Uh, 4G services. So the problem with that is it's it's great for doing high bandwidth, but the distance, the physics of it, mean that that, that signal doesn't travel very far, and it also doesn't travel through uh, uh, walls into buildings, and it doesn't deal very well with all this new kind of super insulated glass that's up there. So a lot of CIOs as well have got to be thinking, okay, look, if we are going to be retaining offices how am I actually going to deliver these services into the office? Because there's no point having everyone on 5G if as soon as they get in the office, it doesn't work. So again, this is where people are starting to look at putting their own network coverage solutions in, putting their own technologies in place to connect up, possibly as an alternative to Wi-Fi, you know, within within those organizations as well. So um, lots of things to think about uh, mm-hmm. uh, as we progress down that route. The, the, the other thing I would also say is, is that um, if the solution is predicated on working on 5G, you're years and years and years away because it's going to be years until it's rolled out. I mean, whether or not you want to go down the Huawei discussion route, I think it makes for an interesting, uh, 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 you know, topic now. But I would be designing things that work well in 4G that are going to work better in 5G because then you can, as you say, exploit that infrastructure investment today. If you wait for 5G to be rolled out before you do develop those services, that's many, many years away. Yeah, building today with an eye on the future is always a, a wise plan, in IT, I, think, I think, isn't it? Yep. Um, tell me, do a bit of um, jargon busting for me, if you will. Mm, of course. We, we hear a lot of these phrases. Um, network slicing, I mean, it, let me put in my words if I can and tell me that I'm completely wrong. It, almost like a form of virtualization, you create a sort of bubble environment for a particular service or action. Yes. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we, we obviously, our, our audience is CIO, so hopefully, you know, they've got a reasonable background in networking and understand the basics. But essentially what you're doing is, is, is creating a layer within that mobile network, a bit like a, 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 um, a, a private amount of capacity. And with that, then they can provide quality of service to you. They, you, you can take much greater control over what happens to data that's over that element of the network. So very similar to what happens with MPLS networks, 
DPLS networks wide area. Essentially, what you're doing is you're, you are renting a certain amount of capacity off that, that, that fixed line provider and then making it private for you. The difference with, with cellular is that day one, network slicing will allow you to do that within the core of a network but it's going to be a long time before they can extend it to the end of the network, the radio part of the network. So it will allow you to essentially use their services, use their networks to do much more intelligent routing and control and management over what happens at a core, so reporting and visibility. But we're still many, many, many years away from the point where they can deliver that end-to-end. Um, so it's going to have slightly niche applications. What you know, one, one uh, way that some organisations are looking at this, for instance, is you might find that like these kind of big players like Amazon themselves have spectrum to themselves or, or bandwidth to themselves, almost like a an Amazon layer, you know. And then everything they do is on that. All of their services are delivered over that that layer of network. But yeah, for most network slicing, it's just imagine this ability to take an element of that mobile network and make it your own private network, which you can then control the attributes on. But we are a way off being able to do that end-to-end yet. Yeah, what about multi-access edge computing? Some for <laughs> network, I suppose. Yeah, okay. So, so, so um, I mean, the, the, the simplest way that they look at this is, is the closer that you can put the compute technology to the end device, yeah, then the more the more effectively it will perform. So if, if for instance, all of your uh, servers and all your services are in your own corporate data center and you want everyone to communicate to that, it's going to go out over from, let's say, the smartphone. It's got to connect over the internet. It's getting a backhaul to your own data center, perform its actions, and then, and then be communicating back and forth. So the idea here is that what we're going to do is start to distribute some of that intelligence, distribute some of that kind of heavy lifting to much closer to the edge, so this mobile edge computing. The challenge with MEC is that whilst technically that's all fine, um, it does require that the likes of the AWS, the Azure's, and these kind of hyperscalers, those type of organizations need to essentially be able to deploy their technologies with the mobile networks. Does that make sense? They've got to be in the mobile network. Now, the problem that a lot of mobile networks is, of course, they didn't architect their systems around this when they were building it to have like kind of 40 or 50 remote data centers at the edge where you could then deploy you know, this kit and, you know, take something like Amazon, I should imagine like that, you know, it takes up vast amounts of space to put in like their, their services. So of course, if that doesn't exist, so imagine a bit like this, the old network exchanges, you know, like the old post office exchanges uh, on a telephone network. Um, ironically, if the likes of BT probably hadn't sold all of those off and turned them into kind of restaurants and things like that, you might find they would have been ideal kind of mech points because they would be much closer to the edge. So I think that the, the, it's a great concept that you push this compute technology much closer out uh, and therefore it's low latency, high performing. The trouble at the moment is when's that going to come? How are they going to push that technology out there uh, uh, before the mobile networks have kind of upgraded their own infrastructure and their capacity to house those services. So you might almost find collaborations coming down the line between the likes of Amazon, you know, AWS and the mobile networks themselves to build kind of these, these kind of colo type facilities where they can actually deliver those technologies uh, out to. And then, then, then obviously the corporations can adopt them as a service. Yeah, I think that's where Cisco's thinking about this, you know, as an enabler, for example, for uh, smart vehicles and driverless cars in our futures and so on. 
Uh, of course, you wouldn't start from where we are now with our road system and so on. But what's going to happen is you'll have very odd bedfellows around you among the, the telcos, the mobile providers, the content owners, uh, the cloud hyperscalers, maybe the city planners, the politicians, everyone <laughs> everyone else's pockets. I would have thought it, at that point. You know, what, you know, it's really difficult from what I can see for, for the various departments within a mobile network to actually work collaboratively together. Uh, so so when you when you get all of those different uh independent organizations trying to collaborate and i think this is one thing i mean you go back a few years ago i think the vision was that 5g would enable autonomous vehicles to literally you know like the old johnny cab from from years ago they would they would would be out there working and they'd be communicating in real time super low latency uh, and i think everyone's kind of ditched that idea now the intelligence is going to be in the vehicles and they'll be communicating back there but this idea that you're going to have ubiquitous 5g coverage no black spots you know it's just suddenly it, 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 it's almost like you have to build such an amazing network to then support the technologies that, that you're waiting so long to do it, by which time is it redundant itself? Whereas if you look at it the other way around, which is you build the intelligence into the vehicles, you know, and then you're connecting them up as best as you possibly can, and there's all the monitoring and the management going on in there, but they're not 100% reliant on those networks to perform, then, then they've actually got a chance because we're never going to have 5G everywhere. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So what you say an autonomous vehicle can only travel in, you know, certain locations and then it stops and then you get out and then, and then what? So, so I, th- I, think, I think we'll see that. And this is why I'm such a big advocate of 4G because I think what we're going to see is before 5G becomes amazing, we're going to see really great improvements in 4G and we already have done, you know, and, and they can support uh, um, for most people as well as 5G. You know, if you've, if you've got a signal there today, you can do as much on 4G as you could in 5G. Um, it's just that it's going to get better with 5G in the future. So I'd be building around 4G with a roadmap to improving on 5G, not waiting for 5G to happen in all its glory before you then can start to deploy technology. Well, I think the feeling is, again, at Cisco, for example, that, you know, there'll be a peaceful, a level of peaceful uh, coexistence between uh, Wi-Fi, uh, fixed line, uh, 4G, and 5G, and of course, uh, they start to coalesce, and and you have uh, use cases for having combinations thereof, um, which takes us nicely, I think, on to uh, mobile data networking. Do you see 5G really being potentially um, a catalyst for greater use of mobile data networking as an alternative to uh, to uh, fixed line and other types of networking? I, I, th- I think the promise of 5G will will definitely do that. I, I mean, yeah, it's the thing I said. I actually genuinely believe that 4G is is an amazing technology that can be used for data networking right here and now um so so you know just take the example of remote working you know in in, in i think was our first uh, episode we talked about the challenges of remote working today covid and, and so on you 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 take you take a scenario of deploying a unlimited data sim in the right piece of technology so like a 100 200 pound router would give you management of that remote workers business connectivity you know with an antenna you're going to pick up a signal you possibly couldn't even see without that so tethering off your phone is fine but we're talking about putting a business grade service in so for a couple of 300 quid or something you you can deploy out to a user technology that will support them so i've I've been using this for for weeks on test now i've turned off my fiber broadband which works really well by the way for where i am i mean it's great technology but been relying purely on cellular and, you know, interesting stats. It uses about five gig a day. I, I use a lot of um, Zoom and, you know, a lot of calls and stuff like that. So I use about 100 gig a month on that, which sounds like a lot. 
which is why you wouldn't want it on your shared smartphone data plan because that'd be really expensive and silly thing to do. But if you've got a standalone, uh, 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 you know, data sim with unlimited allowances for like thirty pounds, then then it's a great technology. So almost think of it that way. You could deploy remote working technology with private connectivity, like business grade connectivity, for a user for 30 quid a month plus the cost of a device and a bit of installation. And today 4G does that and it's working really, really well. And it's exactly the same, you know, management approach that you would have if it's a, a wire in there. So yeah, today it can. In the future, what 5G brings you is much quicker speeds, some more interesting technologies, but actually more capacity with it. But I, 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 I think 5G will be the thing that triggers the interest, but 4G is here delivering it right now. Yeah, I mean, uh... I think with, with 5G as with any big technology or any new product or service, obviously the, the telcos and the, the mobile operators are trying to kick up a, a, a jamboree around it because they want to recoup those incredibly significant R&D investments as soon as humanly possible. But it sounds like what you're saying is we've still got a lot of uh, mobbing up to do with 4G for, for a long time yet. And in a way, probably the, you know, the message for CIO might be you know, definitely have an eye on this of course but um you know the nearer term uh, there's a lot to be done with uh, existing uh, technology that, that, that's right and remember that most 5g is actually deployed on 4g you know it's 4g is a kind of core foundation to 5g you put the 5g antenna but actually all the underlying infrastructure that's in there is, is the same so i'm seeing 4g get better and better because uh, i think as we covered earlier the first foundation that people don't see is the whole network infrastructure being upgraded to support 5g so before 5g is even possible 4G gets really, really great service improvement. And that's what we're seeing all over now. Most CIOs are talked to have got no idea that you could deploy a unit on cellular and be achieving 100 megabit speeds. You know, they're just like, you, you'll be joking, aren't you? But the actual reality of it is that that's been achieved quite regularly now. So if you can deploy 100 megabit circuit for 30 pound a month, <laughs> you, you probably uh, consider a lot of different alternatives for it. Now, I'm not saying it comes with all the same grade of service that you might have with an Ethernet circuit. That'd be ridiculous. But actually, for the vast, vast majority of time, it works really, really well. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, data, data networking over 4G, I think, is a very, very underutilized service today. Uh, by, and most CIOs just not aware that they, they can even use it, you know, to, to a very, you know, decent degree already. Tell me a little bit about uh, private networking. Seems to be making a bit of a, a return to the fore. Why is that? So, yeah, so, so two, two things here. Private networking is two variants of this. One, one is uh, private mobile networking where you're, you're deploying 5G technologies, but in your own space, like your own building, your own factory. So you're using the technology, but you're not using the mobile carrier network. Does that make sense? So you've kind of, you're using the same technologies and you're doing that on a local scale. So you're not, you know, you're not putting your own antenna up and then uh, broadcasting your signal out for miles and miles around. You're putting it on a local level. So that, that's one level. And that's really getting a lot of people interested, as we touched upon before, this kind of industry 4.0. But, it, but it's going to come for uh, all sorts of different applications, essentially possibly even replacing you know, the, the wired LAN in the future. You know, I think that's really interesting. If you could go into a building and literally just have a few, you know, access nodes and so on around, but you don't have to put all the wires in the ground, maybe maybe, maybe that's where that'll go. Then you've got private uh, mobile networks that were essentially layers on the mobile network to set the actual proper wireless side, so using the carriers. Now, this is, this is uh, as some of our, let's, let's say, older listeners will remember uh, back in the day um, used to connect up to the mobile networks if you if you had your exchange server 
in your own data center. If you wanted to provide like email onto a device originally, you'd have like a two meg link that would connect your data center up to the mobile network. And that would be delivered on what we call an APN, an access point name within the mobile network, but essentially allows you to create your own element of the mobile network where your data from your devices, your mobile devices comes back to your data center. Where I'm seeing this being used now, really, really interesting is um, instead of putting two meg links in, we use gateways and we put 10 gig links in and we're essentially able to deploy mobile devices. So I'm not really talking smartphones here, but it could be laptops, certainly could be tablets, could be IoT devices, could be uh, CCTV, could be sensors, could be ticket machines, anything, you know, devices that you might have within your wider estate, not just the, the smartphones. And all of the data from those endpoints coming over one of these private APNs on a mobile network, but in, and then back to essentially a gateway, and then that traffic could be routed straight into your data center or into your cloud services provider like AWS or Azure. Uh, and then, for instance, the internet-facing traffic, the traffic that you want to break out, could go out over a firewall that's got the same policies that your corporate network's on. Does that make sense? You deploy one set of security policies to all the traffic. So there's some really interesting ways that this technology can now be used to almost create private mobile networks that are essentially overlaid onto the corporate, uh, you know, the O2Es and Vodafone's. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's in shades of the uh, 1990s and uh, people running sort of uh, Lotus Notes on OS2 servers and then uh, later BlackBerry servers from mm-hmm. the data centers. Well, like- all of those connected via what we call that private APN. You know, it basically said, don't send my traffic over the carrier internet service, send it back to me. And it's exactly the same policy that we're now talking about, but using it with really high capacity, resilient uh, links instead, which is, which, is, which is quite interesting. Essentially, very low cost ways of delivering a private cellular network to your uh, devices. Yeah, and, and would there be an additional an additional uh, advantage here in that uh, you know data governance and security could be enhanced, where you'd have greater control over uh, data traffic? Yeah. So, so, and again, look, please don't 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 take this as it, I'm recommending for a second that you put all your smartphones onto these kind of private net. You know, the smartphones are built to be on the internet. Like, I, I get that. What we're talking about is is actually think about slightly different. So, let's say you're going to deploy out. Um, uh, and you've got engineers out in the field and, and those engineers have tablets. So imagine like your British gas engineer turns up in your home. They've got like their, their tough book, haven't they? Or they've got like a handheld unit. Now, all of those type of devices may be connecting out over the internet at the moment, which means what? They've got to put security software on those. They've got to be protecting from threats from the internet. You know, they're all exposed. If you move them to a private environment, yeah, there is no internet access. Essentially, the communication between that device and your cloud service or your data center service is done purely over a private connection. And, and the other part of that is you can also then um, allocate an IP address to that SIM that goes into that unit. So not only if you've got a much more secure environment, all of the traffic can only go to one place, that's back to you, and you can give them an IP address so you can actually communicate with the device itself. You don't have to wait for it to call in, which is which is obviously one of the problems with a lot of remote access technologies over the internet. You've got to wait for that that end, end device to actually call into you. You can't just call it up. So so there are lots of advantages. So I could see this being deployed uh, in many many different ways in a corporation to get that real time visibility, real time control, and remove a lot of security threats. And this is where the Internet of Things comes in. If you're connecting up hundreds of thousands or even millions of devices. Is it better to have them on a private network where you remove the security threat or do you want to put them and expose them onto the public internet and then have to protect them all? 
So again, you know, it's not for everyone, but it's got some really good cases. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Thanks for, thanks for explaining that. Uh, earlier on, you said, do we want to go there with uh, Huawei? I think we do. Because, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to go there. I think it's a yeah, really interesting different. area. <laughs> yeah, I've got about three hours where I'm going to talk about my view of Chinese uh, and international geopolitics, if that's okay. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but, I mean, more practically for, for people who are technology enthusiasts like ourselves and want to see, you know, the ability to build better mousetraps, are you concerned by the the UK government's seeming desire to uh, extract Huawei from wherever they see it on our mobile and fixed line networks. It, it's, it's, it's a really difficult area because it, it was only January that, that the decision was taken politically to reduce their exposure, but fundamentally to allow the technology at that point. That, 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 was, that was allowed. Now we've changed. And why have we changed? Because we've almost like created a, a self-fulfilling, all the Americans are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy where they say, look, this, 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 these devices, this technology can't be trusted uh, and therefore shouldn't be used. And then I think Huawei are probably one of the most scrutinized technology firms on the planet. I think in the UK, we have our own department somewhere and all they do is scrutinize Huawei technology. So you, you would imagine that they've done a lot of work. And, and then the challenge really comes this, that because the uh, Americans have now banned the sale of semiconductors to Huawei, so great American technology can no longer be deployed into Huawei. Of course, now it's, it's, it's created this uh, uh, end position where, of course, the technology can't be trusted now because they don't know where they're going to source the components from. And if they don't know where they're going to source the components from, they can't validate or, 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 or check the system. So it feels to me that, look, I, I don't want to get into the trade war discussion, but there's a lot of trade war politics on there. The real shame for us, especially in the UK here and now, is we've got a lot of problems to deal with. We've got COVID, we've got Brexit that's only five, you know, five, five months away before we're on, you know, what, what trading terms we don't even know yet. All these challenges coming in. And suddenly we had a, an area of the market where we were potential leaders and now we're going backwards. And, and almost it's like difficult to say, well, well, where's all the new technology going to come from? You know? So, so I think for me, it's, it's kind of like a trade war has got implications. I get the security issues, but now we're in a position of, well, have we actually got a replacement for this or have we just put ourselves back by two years at a time when we can least afford to be put back? Because, I think they've got uh, seven years to replace Huawei within the broadband network. Is that correct? I think it's something like seven years or 2027, yeah, yeah. you know, six, seven years. Well, look, if it was such a security risk, and, and by the way, this stuff is in like thousands of cabinets all around, you know, the green cabinets, I believe, in the street, I think it's in there and within the networks. If this stuff was a real issue, you know, we wouldn't be waiting six years, would we? to address the problem. So it's, it's challenging. What do you think? Anyway, that's my, my, my take. Oh, I totally agree. I'd probably even go a little bit further in, in that I think, you know, it, it's very politically motivated and I think it, it's very much getting in line behind the Americans in lots of ways. And, you know, if they really felt while it was such a live risk, then, you know, they've got lots of people who, who study this stuff. They work very closely with um, BT and other telecom, telecoms companies. They have lots of checks and balances. So if they really think that there's some uh, dark shenanigans going on, they should put up and shut up, you know, rather than just refer to nefarious activities without uh, explaining what those activities are. So, you know, I think it's a bit disappointing that we seem to be going back into the Cold War, but... Um, do, do you, let, me, let me tell you something else that I've heard a lot of, and I, I totally get it, and CIOs must find themselves in this position, so that, that politics is working into the boardroom as well. So... Um, you know, the CIO may well be quite well read on this and understand the different challenges and issues, but the board 
get their news from whatever newspaper or evening snapshot, BBC, ITV, whatever it might have been, that's going to do a 30-second piece on why there's a security threat here. So I'm getting, I'm hearing about a lot of CIOs essentially saying, oh, look, I just, it's toxic. I can't use Huawei because it's now toxic. Is you know, regardless. So we're talking about core network infrastructure is a problem. Yeah, but that has now been extended out to you know, the consumer end device, you know, like the, the, the kind of end router that's just sitting on a broadband connection. You know, a lot of these uh, CI is now not able to even deploy this stuff. And the real challenge with something like that is this stuff was, 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 was absolutely leading. You know, it was uh, Wi-Fi 6 leading the way in terms of security. Uh, I think it received global, so while we got global recognition for the work that they were doing in creating a secure Wi-Fi 6 environment. And all of this stuff is going to go out the window now and like in a 5g world you know you'd be hard pushed to find too many replacements for huawei you know uh, end devices if you like at the moment they, they they kind of dominate that market so for me it's even more disappointing that the whole thing's got mixed up in one as well you know the, that core network infrastructure is now just extending out to mean anything with that h badge on it is is, is bad news and i think that's that's probably doing a lot of disjustice to that that company but that, that is politics, isn't it, unfortunately? Well, it is, but I mean, from a, a business point of view also, I think, you know, there's a, a bigger picture, which is, you know, if we have poor relations with China, then we effectively cut ourselves off from, you know, building a trade optimally with, well, I guess it's the world's biggest economy now, isn't it, by most indicators. So uh, it, it does seem to be uh, torrid times, but, but we, we maybe we can find another uh, session where we go more into into to that if we if we have that ambition um we, we've covered a lot of ground here matt as ever you've talked us through 5g i loved your phrase by the way fiber over the air i think that encapsulates it so nicely and you, you've talked about the ability to sweat 4g assets as well and be realistic about what we need to do now and what is really building for the future but did you have any other thoughts you want to, to get over no, I, I, th- I think um, if I was just encouraging CIOs to to think about this differently, I, I, I would be saying that don't wait for 5G. 4G is actually, in many, many cases, an amazing experience today with the right deployment of the, edge, the, 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 the user technology, sorry, and the right SIM, the right network and right services. You can deliver amazing connectivity that's high performing and even fully managed now as well. You know, it's not like it's just a kind of unknown. The mobile is always one of the things. It was kind of on the periphery. You couldn't really manage it or see it. You know, you can deploy this now in a way that allows you to give you full visibility in exactly the same way as if that was an extension of your own local area network. And I think for me, that's the most exciting bit because now that's here and it's working, addressing the challenges of remote working, addressing the challenges of scaling sites up or down, adjusting to capacity requirements, temporary locations, all sorts of things like that become possible. And then as organizations, and I know this won't apply to every business that's out there, but it will apply to a lot, which is as they start to develop their own services with IoT built into it. So let's take your British gas, British gas example from earlier or a home serve company like that. Um, you've got boiler technology that could have a sensor in it. And then that data from that sensor going straight back to those organizations so they can do predictive and proactive management and monitoring. 
if you're going to develop as a CIO your own technologies and services that embed IoT within it, then having a private data network to do that, which is really secure, so your customer data isn't going to leak out to the internet and you've got all these security weaknesses, is again really important. So I'd be really encouraging CIOs to really have a relook at cellular, especially if it's not an area they're really comfortable with. And I know in the past, mobile might have been one of those things that wasn't even really handled by IoT you know, in the past. You know, could, could, could often be finance and procurement, did the, 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 a lot of the work in there initially and the, the IT teams didn't get too involved. I'd, I'd encourage them to have a real look at that again would be my main message, Martin. Yeah, and you put that message up very well again, Matt. Matt, we, that's all we've got. To are we do. done? Are we done I for another day? Are. I think we are. Are we ready for the pod now? Or no, we, we live yeah, What time is it? 2.30. A little bit early yet. <laughs> Matt, it's always a pleasure. We'd speak again very soon. Likewise. See you then. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the CIO podcast. The podcast for CIOs who mean business. If you like what you heard during this podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe to get the latest insights from IT leaders and industry specialists. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.